from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, February 8th. The Biden administration paused a decision on whether or not to approve what would be the largest natural gas export terminal in the United States. Instead, it has directed the Energy Department to evaluate the project's impact on climate change first. The proposed terminal called Kalkashu Pass 2, or CP2, is being planned for the Louisiana coastline. If approved, it would involve bringing gas extracted via fracking through a new pipeline. At the terminal, the gas would be condensed into liquid, chilled, and sent to markets around the world. Now, climate activists are referring to the terminal as a carbon megabomb. The Guardian Guardian reports it would ship up to 24 million tons of liquefied natural gas, or LNG, each year once built. The department has never before rejected a proposed natural gas project on these grounds, and there are 16 other proposed terminals which might face the same fate. So this policy decision, one way or another, is a very big deal. And in fact, for a country, the United States, which is now the largest liquid natural gas exporter In the world, climate activists are lauding the Biden administration's new position as victory. Others see it as Biden's way to appease climate activists while not really changing that much. But joining us now to break down the Biden administration's pause on natural gas export at CP2, as well as the environmental political and economic implications, is Robinson Meyer, founding executive director of Heatmap, a relatively new climate-focused media company. Hey, Robinson, welcome back to WNYC. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. So we're going to get granular on both the natural gas export industry in the U.S., (laughs) which a lot of listeners know very little about, and why the Biden administration is pausing this terminal now. Uh, But first, as I said, since our focus is climate, activists have called this project a carbon megabomb. Can you explain just the scope of this terminal and what some fear the environmental impact might be? Yeah, absolutely. So CP2 itself um, was going to export about or is is proposed to export about 20 million tons per year of liquid natural gas, which would be about 20 percent of uh, which would increase like U.S. liquid natural gas exports at their current rate by 20 percent. By the time CP2 would be billed, it would actually um, it, U.S. exports will be much higher than they are now because there's just already locked in growth into the system. There's already terminals that are basically have mostly been built and are just waiting to open. But it would represent a major expansion of U.S. liquid natural gas capacity. And I think there's really two things that I would call out about it. The first is that CP2 just by itself is a very pollution intensive proposal. Um, it would emit just at the just from the site itself about two coal plants worth of carbon pollution and in fact be the second most carbon pollution facility of any kind in Louisiana. Hmm. Um, I think the second thing is that CP2 is really just part of a wave of um, proposed new liquid natural gas export terminals that are slated to come online across the Gulf Coast. And I should add that while this announcement initially was that the uh, Biden administration would pause CP2's proposal by itself, what it has done since then is actually pause all pending applications to the Department of Energy 
for new liquid natural gas export terminals um, to review th their impact on the climate and and how much basically how much U.S. liquid natural gas exports should increase, what that would mean for the climate, how we should think about it, so on. Yeah, so this is this is a big deal decision by the Biden administration. Let me ask you to give our listeners some of the economic context here, because you write, although the United States only began exporting liquefied natural gas in 2016, it is now the world's top exporter of the fossil fuels, uh, of that fossil fuel. So for people who might not know, can you give us a bit of background on how new this is at all? I mean, 2016, it's like yesterday, yeah. uh, and how the U.S. became the biggest exporter of this energy source? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it makes sense, actually, to go back to the mid-2000s, because back in the mid-2000s, when energy planners and experts and engineers were looking at what fossil fuels the U.S. had and, and what it was believed to have, they, they actually thought the U.S. was about to run out of natural gas. And there was this concern kind of through the late Bush administration that the U.S. would soon not have natural gas. We have a very natural, we had a very natural gas intensive energy system already. People use it to heat their homes in New York, you know, in, certainly in New Jersey, where I'm from. Um, but they, and, and the concern was that we were going to run out of domestic natural gas to mine. And so there were started to be, companies started to build natural gas import terminals along the Gulf Coast. And it was kind of a new thing. At that point, Japan had really been the first country to experiment with importing or exporting liquid importing rather liquefied natural gas and the idea that the US would import liquefied natural gas was was very strange but companies started to invest in these big facilities then in the late 2000s fracking happened and we discovered that there were enormous quantities of natural gas that were previously not thought to be economical to extract that were now completely accessible and in fact very cheap and the U.S. went from believing it would have a shortage of natural gas to realizing that it would have a surplus. In fact, so much that we could kind of burn natural gas for centuries and it would be fine. That would be disastrous for the climate, obviously, but mm -hmm. economically it's there to mm -hmm. consume. And so those companies that had built these natural gas import terminals along the Gulf Coast, many of them retrofitted to being natural gas export terminals because suddenly now there was a surplus of natural gas. And the first one of those opened in 2016. And since then, uh, trade has really expanded enormously, and it really picked up after Russia um, began throttling natural gas exports to Europe in the run-up to what we now know was the invasion of Ukraine, and then after the invasion of Ukraine itself, um, Russia was messing with its its exports, to, uh, its natural gas exports to Europe, in such a way that really messed up prices within Europe, and and the U.S. kind of wound up. Uh, stepping into that breach and, and expanding exports as much as it could to support the European economy. So a lot of it is going to Europe. Some of it is because of the Russia-Ukraine war. That's really interesting. Talk more then about the potential environmental impact of this industry expanding even more in the United States. Because natural gas, some people may remember, has long been touted as cleaner than other types of fossil fuels, at least. For example, um, we saw the U.S. Energy Information Agency, so part of the federal government, uh, put it yeah. this way on their website, burning natural gas for energy results in fewer emissions of nearly all types of air pollutants and carbon dioxide 
than burning coal or petroleum products to produce an equal amount of energy, I guess, than burning those products. But new reports are saying that this natural gas terminal could actually be worse than coal, and you were putting it somewhat in that context before. So what are the climate experts claiming if this were really to expand further as an industry in the United States and there were to be, you know, this dozen and more new uh, liquid national natural gas exporting facilities that are on the docket? So it's it's the kind of whole, to, to do the whole math here, I think is really complicated. So I'm going to try to kind of build it one by one. So I think the um, at just a root level, natural gas emits less greenhouse gas pollution than coal. If you just have a unit of natural gas there in your laboratory and a unit of coal and you burn them, you're going to get less carbon from the natural gas. There'll be less carbon pollution, less greenhouse gas emissions from the natural gas for the same amount of energy. That's exactly right. And I think generally over the past two decades, as we've realized there's this surplus of natural gas in the United States, in our domestic electricity grid, in the US power generating system, that huge amount of cheap natural gas has really driven out coal from the system. It has basically gone and replaced all, we've replaced all these coal plants with natural gas plants. They produce electricity more cheaply and with fewer carbon emissions. And that has been actually the primary driver of America's decrease in greenhouse gas emissions over the past 10, 15 years. And so domestically, we tend to think of natural gas as, yes, being cleaner than coal. Recently, there have been a series of studies that I should add have not been published in a scientific journal. There's really two big studies, and or even one, and it claims that natural gas as a system might be more damaging than, than burning coal. That in fact, if you look at the entire system that we use to extract natural gas from the ground, move it across the territory through pipelines, store it, uh, compress it maybe, get it ready to burn, uh, get it ready for export, move it on ships across the ocean. If you look at that whole system, this one study by a scientist named Robert Howarth, he alleges that it is so leaky, that system is so leaky across the board that, that natural gas is 24 times worse than coal. In fact, he says if you look at the absolute worst case scenario, it's almost 300 times worse than coal for the climate. Now, I should add, this study hasn't been published in a scientific journal, and there's a lot of disagreement about how exactly you should interpret this math, You know, how Earth really takes warming that happens in the next 10 or 20 years to much more seriously than warming that happens you know, in the next century. Other climate scientists disagree with that way of weighting emissions. But the basic issue is that natural gas itself uh, contains methane, or mostly is methane. Um, methane is a greenhouse gas itself. It actually, on a short-term level, is far worse for the climate. It traps more heat at a very short-term level than carbon dioxide does. And so if you have this leaky system and it emits a lot of natural gas unburned into the air, then that would be very bad for the climate. And so what this recent campaign against liquid natural gas export terminals has been about uh, among climate activists has been they say, look at this study, natural gas is way worse than we thought. And it's especially way worse if you look at it as, as this global liquefied natural gas system. And therefore, we need to 
shut it down right now. Has the boom in liquefied natural gas production in the United States made us energy independent or let's say extremely less dependent on countries like Saudi Arabia? You know, a lot of people, especially now, are looking for the U.S. uh, to be less dependent on anything involving us in the Middle East than we have been in the past. It definitely has. And I think that is what is so interesting about this decision and and what is um, so what produces so many of the different ways of thinking about this decision in a way. Uh, I first of all, the the America's ability to export a lot of natural gas has been a very big deal during the Ukraine war. It definitely helped the European economy that that natural gas was there to be directed to to help Europe. Now, climate activists would say, yes, this natural gas may have been helpful to Europe in the past um, year or two, but Europe is going to be able to solve its problems with clean energy going forward. They don't really need our gas, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. What they certainly don't need is an increase in export capacity. Right now, the other major exporter of liquefied natural gas is Qatar. And I think what a lot of this, what U.S. natural gas exports do is they, if if we're not selling a country gas, probably Qatar will. Um, If we're both selling a lot of gas, maybe countries that we're not planning on building gas import capacity may build gas import capacity. Mm -hmm. So it's very hazy how this works out. I think it absolutely has led to the U.S. energy system being less coupled to oil prices. And so there's ways for us to generate energy that don't directly rely on Saudi Arabia or OPEC. I There's another dynamic that people sometimes bring up, which is the more export capacity for natural gas that we build in the U.S., the more coupled U.S. domestic gas prices and the global price for natural gas become because these markets become more and more related, right? Uh by potentially by 2027, we'll be exporting about 20% of all natural gas we extract in the United States. That could lead to natural gas prices in the U.S. getting higher. And that, even though that would res- give the U.S. a lot of leverage and kind of energy global geopolitics, it would actually right. maybe decrease our independence by raising right. costs for consumers. Because U.S. consumers would be competing with the consumers that the companies want to ship to abroad exactly. to make more of a profit. Exactly. Uh, so I hear the complexity there. And I wonder if you think politically um, that this is going to become an issue in the presidential race this year with Biden now putting on pause this liquid natural gas exporting facility in Louisiana and possibly many more that the industry would like to build. We know Trump is already running on drill, baby, drill. Remember Trump said he would be a dictator, but only on day one, and to do two things, close the border and drill, baby, drill. And you don't have to be Donald Trump to be a Republican who's taken this position. Here's Senator Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor last Wednesday on Biden's decision to pause this export facility. This move would amount to a functional ban on new LNG export permits. The administration's war on affordability, affordable domestic energy has been bad news for American workers and consumers alike. 
almost awake for the day there, Mitch McConnell, uh, who is saying the administration's war on affordable domestic energy has been bad news for American workers and consumers alike, if he was too marble-mouthed for you to understand the words in the clip. Uh, and, then, and then later, McConnell said, it was liquid natural gas exports from the United States that allowed Europe to reduce its reliance on Russian energy in the wake of their attack on Ukraine. So if the Biden administration is foolish enough to shut down our exports or saddle their national interest analysis with Green New Deal schemes, I hope they understand which nation's interests they're advancing, meaning Russia. Um, so do you see this as a big presidential issue this year? I do. I do. I think it's I think it's actually the main way to understand this move is maybe as a piece of presidential politics um, huh. and presidential you know, election politics from the Biden campaign side. What I think Biden officials and Biden campaign workers and, and the president himself have noticed is that uh despite passing several laws that are going to advance US decarbonization you know first and foremost the inflation reduction act that news has just not broken through among younger voters younger voters uh don't seem to have realized the extent uh or maybe they don't believe the extent to which the inflation reduction act and and other recent laws and actions by the Biden administration will reduce US emissions and younger voters are quite angry at the president for uh, a substantive reason for his for his how he has uh, for the Israel Gaza war, um, and they know third <laughs> the Biden administration knows third that when the Biden administration uh, approved the Willow Pipeline through Alaska, that was seen as a great betrayal by climate activists and, and by young voters. In fact, it seems like the Willow Pipeline approval, which is this big oil pipeline in uh, in Alaska that the administration approved last year, seems to have broken through way more than the Inflation Reduction Act ever did. And by putting these uh, natural gas terminals on pause, um, the Biden administration seems to think that it can kind of hold off another betrayal story, that it can show that it is interested not only in ex expanding clean energy, but in slowing the growth of fossil fuels. On the Trump administration side, uh, Donald Trump actually promised this weekend that if he took office, he would unpause this pause. He would restart the approval of these of these projects and would try to expand U.S. liquid oh, natural gas export. So capacity. he did get to it specifically uh, yeah. already. I want to get one caller on here who I think is going to say we can have the best of both worlds. We can have the benefits of liquid natural gas but still crack down on its potential climate harms. Mark, in eastern New York, you're on WNYC. Hi, Mark. Uh, hello, Brian. Uh, it's a very simple thing that I have to say. Uh, methane is far is a terrible uh, greenhouse gas if it gets in the atmosphere. But it doesn't have to get in the atmosphere if you fix the leaks. The leaks are the problem. What we just need is to fix the leaks so that we keep the methane natural gas in the pipes and and in and, and in the liquid form and in the ships. Don't let it get out into the air. Mark, thank you. Uh, are engineers saying that Mark's fix is possible or not possible, or have you heard that proposal before? Not only is it possible, the U.S. is doing it. And I think this sits at a really interesting angle to the claim by climate activists that natural gas may be 
much more polluting than we previously think. So the EPA has just implemented new regulations uh, limiting leaks from natural gas pipelines, from natural gas facilities. It is a major, it will result in major, major reductions of these leaks uh, in the U.S., and Congress has actually backed up that regulation with penalties. So if you don't comply with the regulation and you're still leaky, you have to pay a tax on the amount of methane that you leak into the air. What some activists, I think, would retort is that, yes, we will have that regulation. We will be monitoring liquid natural gas in the U.S. However, once you export natural gas, sometimes the ships on which you export it are quite leaky themselves. Sometimes the terminals that you export it into or the pipelines that you where you take the natural gas can be themselves leaky. And so there is still leaks somewhere in the system. But I actually do think the caller, I, I think the caller is a great point. And I think this is an aspect of the uh, of this claim by climate activists that I'm hoping Heatmap, where I work, the, the climate site that I work, heatmap.news, you can find us. We'll be able to drill into this more because at the one hand, we're understanding just how dangerous these leaks are. On the other hand, we are regulating these methane leaks way more now, and we're about to regulate them way more than we ever have before. And how those two assessments, how that assessment and how this new regulation fit together, I think no one's quite squared the circle on yet. And there we leave it with Robinson Meyer, founding executive editor of the climate-focused news organization, Heat map, uh, primer for many of you who weren't familiar with this issue on what is a very important issue, how much liquid natural gas, which the U.S. has become so dependent on and made so much money from, but has such climate implications, how much should the Biden administration pause or halt the development of export capacity? He did put one major facility on pause and that is now drawing a reaction from Trump and other Republicans and part of the presidential election year debate. And that's our climate story of the week. Robinson, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me as always. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.